How's everyone doing? I feel, like I, I, I feel like I ask that every Sunday. You know, and it's like one day we'll get there. You know, like, yes, we're doing good. I see you in the back. Well, we're wrapping up Romans 8 today, uh, tackling the last couple verses. And I don't know about you, but if you've been reading through Romans 8 uh, for this entire three weeks, I know for a fact God is doing something in you because it's impossible to, to soak in this word. To, to focus on what God is saying in Romans 8 and for the Holy Spirit to not be stirring something up in you. And just so we're clear as we dive in, once again, I'm reading out of the NLT version. If you want to follow along, it's up on the screen. Um, so if you got your Bibles out, here we go. Verse 31 says this in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? I love that because it starts in verse 30. Then what then shall we say to this? What it's saying is you've read a bunch of Romans 8. You've read this. What then shall you do? How should you respond to hearing these words in Romans 8? And the next line says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What a powerful line of scripture and a truth that we get to hold on to. What it is saying is God is unmatched. God is undefeated. God is the greatest and will always be the greatest. What can be against us if we already serve the greatest? Amen? Amen. And it's, it's, what we need to know is that in the Greek, what, this if, when we say if God is for us, this is not an if of doubt. This is not an if of if God is for us. This is an if of certainty. This is saying that if God is for you, mean if Jesus is the king of your life, if you've asked him to come rule inside of your, your heart, inside of your soul, then what can be against you? This is not an if of questioning. This is an if of certainty. Why this if is important is because some will think that God is for them. Some will think and do things in the name of God, but Jesus is not in them. We see this all the time in humanity. People taking the scripture, people taking the words of God and manipulating them. God is not for that. God is for those who are fully sold out and committed to this, his son, Jesus Christ. And I, as, I, as I continue to read this, something stood out to me. As we've read through Romans 8, that God is for us even though we don't deserve it. Is that just, anybody else, is that just, God is for you even though you don't deserve it. Even though like, we are sinners and we fail and we mess up, God is still for us. That's how great his love is. And it's also so freeing that there's no actions, nothing I can do to work myself to be in better standing with God that he would be for me. It's simply the fact that he wants to be for us. That his love and grace is so great for us. That's why he's for us. I found this quote by Newell. It says this, Our weak hearts are prone to legalism and unbelief. Receiving these words will be with great difficulty. God is for us. They have failed him, but he is for them. They are ignorant, but he is for them. They have not yet brought forth much fruit, but he is for them. Perspective on God's grace when we read this passage, perspective on this, that it's his grace for us that makes him for us should be help us not fall into legalism, not fall into guilt, 
Because those are all lies from the enemy. We hold on to the truth that God is for us and it's all him, not because of us. Amen? I hope that's freeing for someone in here. Verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God didn't spare anything for us because he gave us the ultimate gift, the gift that, that goes beyond eternity, the gift that is greater than any earthly thing. He already gave it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. This gift from God, this ultimate gift that he's given to us, gives us the opportunity to, to spend eternity with him like we talked about last week, for his Holy Spirit to come live in us that we talked about in week one that we get that because of this ultimate gift. And the words it says here, for us, it's, we need to focus on those words, that God sent his son for us. We have to acknowledge that Jesus had to stand in our place. Jesus had to stand and take the, the pain and the suffering and the death that we rightfully deserved. That for us is so important in scripture. Because it's reminding us that Jesus loved us so much that he did this for us. And for you, we need to personalize that. That's how much Jesus loves you. And that's how much Jesus loves me, that he was willing to stand in this place for us. So we ask this question, why would we think he wouldn't give us other gifts? If he's already given us the ultimate gift, why would we think he wouldn't continue to move? Why would he not give us strength when we are weak? Why would he not? Why would he not give us healing when we're sick? Why would he not give us hope when we're hopeless? And why would he not give us joy when we have none? See, I, I, I truly believe that a big part of this, when we think of these gifts, when we think of being set free from things, I think sometimes we have the source mixed up. We, we have where we should be going to get these things mixed up. Oftentimes we are prone to search for healing and strength and joy in things of the world instead of our God. So we have to ask ourselves this question, where is our source? I'll, let me put it this way. Let's throw this picture up. So this is a cool picture of a giant apple. That's the world's biggest apple, right? I mean, look, that apple's bigger than that lady doing yoga. That apple's bigger than the mountain. I mean, I, I, I don't know, I've never seen this apple on the maps when I look for it, but I think I would be able to see it. This has to be one of the seven wonders of the world, right? No, this apple is just a normal apple. Why this apple looks so big is because I as the photographer or I viewing it is closer to the apple. That woman is further back in the sand and that mountain is way in the back so the apple looks bigger. Do you get what I'm saying here? That when we look at these things, that these gifts that are offered from God, when we look at these things, we look at it like through this lens. My pain is so big. My addiction is so big. My hurt is so big. This world is so hard. We have to ask ourselves, are we closer to those than we are our Father? The closer we get to God, the bigger he becomes in our life. 
The closer and more time we spend with God, the more he starts to move and move in us and we hear his voice more clearly and that apple gets smaller and smaller and smaller that we realize the mountain behind it is 10 times bigger. Amen? Amen. We need to spend time getting close to God so we can hear his voice. So when we ask for things like strength and healing and hope and joy, we know what source to go to. As we continue to read here, it says this in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The Greek word for charge here means to lodge a formal accusation. To, to, to charge here, to, to lodge a formal accusation. And we find in Revelations 12, verses 10 and 11, we get to see the enemy accusing us. In verses 10 and 11, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ. Here's the key part here. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their life so much that they were not afraid to die. Why this is important is because it describes who can accuse us, knowing that Satan is accusing us to God. He, he's, he's forming a complaint to us to God, and he's doing it to us as well. He tries to do this to us. You know, I know this personally because what he does when he accuses is he tries to sow disbelief. Or, or he tries to, to sow this idea of your sin. Your sin disqualifies you from God's grace. Or maybe he accuses you and makes you think, you're unworthy of this. You're unworthy of this grace from God. Because how, how could you be worthy of something like this? With all that you've done. He also accuses us and uses fear. He, he'll use fear. To, to sow disbelief in us. That, that, that what we talk about, what, maybe God's not gonna show up. Maybe, maybe he's not gonna move. Can I trust him? Is it true? I think if we're honest, the accuser, Satan, has done this to a lot of us. He, he stirred up this disbelief through accusations about God that aren't true, accusations about you to convince you that you're not worthy. But here's the key for this piece of scripture, that the highest judge, the highest judge says you are not guilty. The highest judge, who is our heavenly father, because of the blood of his son Jesus, says you are not guilty. You don't have to believe the lies of the enemy. You don't have to believe the accusations that he accuses you of. You are free and innocent in the eyes of our Father through his son Jesus. Amen. It says this, Satan says, look at your sinfulness. God says, look to Jesus. That's simple right there, right? In Hebrews 12 too, Satan says, look at your mistakes. Look how bad your problems are. Look how much mis uh, sin you have in your life. And what God says is, look to Jesus. That's enough. That's enough. Jesus is way bigger than any of those things. Jesus is bigger than anything we've fallen, anything we've done, any mistake, any trip up, any habit. Jesus is enough. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. 
that you walked into this place carrying this accusation from the enemy of guilt and shame from the sins that you've made. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Are you carrying this baggage around that you're not designed to carry anymore? Jesus is enough. Amen? Amen. As we continue to read in verse 34, it says this. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This right hand is very important. It's used oftentimes in scripture. And it's this right hand, this position of authority. You know, in these times, that right hand position at the side of the throne would have been the king's right hand man. The, the one that sits at the highest point of power besides the king. And this is where Jesus is, next to his father. He is the right hand of God. And he sits at the throne interceding for us. But we have to look back to Romans 1 that we started. It started off with there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ. So it brings this idea back up, who is to condemn and it sets up this idea of Jesus being on the right, and God and Jesus are the only ones who have right to condemn anyone. They're the only ones that have the authority to condemn anyone. And this should be a warning sign for us. And now, a moment of transparency. This is a warning sign for me, that I so often easily condemn others for their actions. I so often in my mind, condemn someone for mistakes they've made, condemn someone for words they've said, when I have no right to condemn. Only God and Jesus have that right. Only God and Jesus have that, that calling authority to judge someone. So if we believe Romans 8, that when we read the first part, we read that there is no condemnation found in Christ. We celebrate that fact. But when we read this, who then shall condemn? We should feel it in our gut, in our soul, that he is speaking a warning sign to us that as believers, we are not the condemners. We are not the judge. We are not the one that gets to determine someone's eternity. All we are is at the same level as everyone in Christ. Heirs to the throne. That our role is to love even around circumstances. Our, our role is to forgive over and over and over again, just as Christ forgave us. But so often, personally, and even in the church sometimes, the enemy will sow this disbelief where he'll stir stuff up in us that will cause us to look at someone and condemn them. I know this because I've said these words before in my life, and I hope to never say them again as they still haunt me today. There's no way, there's no way that person's turning their life around. At that moment, when I echoed those words, I was condemning them. I was judging them. I was taking the position of ultimate authority, saying that there's no way, when I have no right to do that, I just have to acknowledge that I was a sinner, I messed up, and God's grace was greater than my problems. God's forgiveness was bigger than my sins, and it is bigger than their problems too. Amen? Let's continue to read as we get into verse 35. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Think about this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I think that first time I read this, I interpreted it as who should separate us from my love for Jesus, right? We can read it that way, but how we should read it is what or who can separate us from God's love for us? That it's not about our love for him, which can be blown and changed based on seasons. It's about his love for us. So let's dive into these words like tribulation, the afflictions of this world, right? The, the things that come up in this world, these daily afflictions that we face, or distress. I put this as the anxiety of the unknown. I mean, I feel like we've been kind of living in that as a community, as a culture for a couple years now, right? This anxiety of when is this gonna be over? When is this gonna end? When is, when is my life gonna go back to normal? This persecution. The Bible's very clear, as Christ followers, we will face persecution because we live in a fallen world. That you will be persecuted against, that the world will hate you for what you believe as a son and daughter of Jesus. Famine, speaking of just life necessities. How often do just the necessities of life become big in our life? I know there's been times where I've looked at my bank account and it seemed like that's a really big problem. Anybody else? Like, I'm like, okay, that seems like a life necessity. Big problem, bigger God. As we continue to read, it talks about nakedness, the idea here of being completely stripped to nothing. That if your life, not just physical nakedness, but if your life was completely stripped to nothing, if everything was taken away from you, if you had no possessions, no standing, if you had no, no money or anything, God's love for you still stays the same. If you get stripped down to the bare bones, where you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel, we might change our feelings towards him, but his love for us does not change. That's amazing. When it talks about danger, these earthly powers, I remember as a kid, I was terrified of the dark. Anybody else? No, just me, cool. Um, I was scared, I was terrified of the dark. And I would always stand at the door convinced that there was something out there trying to eat me. And my family would talk to me like, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, okay? Well, that's not true. There is something out there that's trying to eat me. It might not be right in my backyard. It might be the mountain lion a mile away, but it's still out there somewhere, right? We live in a dangerous world. There is things that are trying to destroy you. There is things that are gonna happen to you. But no matter what the enemy does, no matter what the world does, he still loves you. Amen. And the last point part here is very important. When it says the word sword, what it is saying is that even if it comes to the ultimate point, of death, even if it comes to the ultimate point of death, you still can't be separated from God. 
That even if the, all of this stripped to nakedness, trials of the world, famine, all of this is thrown at you and you end with death, you still can't be separated from God's love for you. Because now you get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Amen. That all this stuff that is thrown at us, as Christ followers, we can look at this and say to ourselves, bring it on, world. Bring it on. Bring on the trials. Bring on the tribulations. No matter what you throw at me, enemy, God still has me. If you choose to take me out, great. I'll see him earlier. What if we had that approach to life? That just as Christ followers, this confidence that God's word is true, and no matter what is thrown at me, I still have God, and he still loves me for eternity. Verse 36 says this. I got to really speed up. I'm sorry. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says here, but for your sake, we're being slaughtered. What he's setting up here is he's saying that in this time period when he's writing these letters, believers are dying because of their faith. They, they, they are literally being hunted down because they've confessed Jesus. And he says, but we are lambs to the slaughter, meaning that we think about that through the idea of a shepherd, that as a Christ follower, we're willing to go to death because we're like a sheep. And a sheep just follows the shepherd. The sheep doesn't know where the destination is. He just follows the shepherd. And for these disciples at this time, it meant following the shepherd to even their own death. As they were hunted and slaughtered, but they are called as sheep just to follow the shepherd, not knowing the outcome. Because as we read in the passage before, not even death can separate us. And it wraps up this verse here. It says that you are more than conquerors. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. That you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We follow this God, this Jesus that lives in us, that has made us stronger than we can even imagine. Who has more power than anything of this world who is stronger than any of our disbeliefs. And he left us with things that we can focus on as we focus on becoming, believing this, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus, that we can do this. I came up with just five things we need to focus on. The first thing is this. We need to focus on his plan. We need to focus on the plan of Jesus, that God sent his son to bear our sin, to bear our guilt, to bear our shame on the cross. And he went to the grave. But the thing we focus on in his plan is that he did not stay in the grave. He rose three days later. And because of that resurrection power, he now lives in us. Sometimes we forget about the plan. Sometimes we forget that God has a plan for this. He has a rescue plan that started thousands of years ago for us in this room. That all we have to do is find Jesus. Give our lives to Jesus and live for him. And we're a part of this rescue plan. The second thing we need to do is remember the promise. As we talked about last week, this promise of eternal life. 
that no matter what happens to us in this world, that we have the promise of eternity with God. We need to hold on to that promise. When we feel like our life is broken, we feel like we're down in the dumps, we still have that promise. When life gets hard, when trials and tribulations hit us, we still have that promise. The next thing we need to remember is his presence. His presence. How often do we forget that the living God, Jesus, is living in us? That his Holy Spirit has chosen to dwell in us. That his presence has chosen to dwell in us. That we can speak to him. Amen. That, that we, can, we can rest in his presence. That we can be close to him. So maybe these spiritual apples that we're facing, these giants, how often do they become these giants in our life, these hardships in our life? Because we're just not listening to the presence that is inside of us. That still calming voice that's saying, I got you. We're gonna get through this. You can do it. We have to remember his presence. We also have to remember his purpose. We have to remember why we're here. The enemy will constantly try to, to sway us to forget why we are here. We are here to follow his great command to love him and to love his people. That's why we are here, to love him and to love his people. Don't let the enemy sway us from the purpose of our life. We need to hold true to this purpose of why we are here. This purpose doesn't take breaks. This purpose doesn't take weekends. This, this purpose doesn't take holidays. I'm going on vacation soon but my purpose is coming with me. Right. It doesn't stay in Reno. Right. This is my purpose. I live this every day, every minute, every hour. I need to love God and love his people, no matter how I feel about it. Amen. No matter when I'm frustrated, no matter when I'm broken or I'm hurting, I am still called to live by this purpose. And the last P we need to remember is we need to remember his power that he has this ultimate power that transcends, that goes beyond anything we can comprehend. That when we go to him and ask him to move, ask him to intercede, that that power comes with him. That power comes with him. I hope that we never get to the place as Christ followers that we forget how powerful our God is. The enemy is really good at convincing you and convincing me sometimes that he's, he's big, he's tough, he's really strong, and convincing us that our God isn't that big. Or even our God's too busy helping all this big, how could he help me? I pray that we never forget the power of Jesus Christ that he is strong, he is the conqueror, and I'll close with this, that he is all powerful even over death because he proved it when he went to the grave, he conquered sin, he conquered death. He has already defeated the enemy we face today. He's already won that victory. That power, that strength, he's already won that battle. So when we face these things, like I said earlier, we can look at the enemy 
We can look at these things he's throwing at us. Good try. Nice try. Good try, bud. Because, because everything you're throwing at me, every lie that you're sowing into my heart, Jesus already conquered. Amen. That power is so much bigger than you. It's so much stronger than you. I hope that we can get to a place where we stop believing the devil is bigger than our God and start believing that the power that lives in us has already conquered him. And we just need to believe it. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you? Father God, we thank you for another day to listen to your words and to grow closer to you. Father, we just pray that you would speak to us as we leave this place. That your presence we would tap into, God. That we would tap into this presence that you've given us, your Holy Spirit, and listen to you, Father. Don't let us forget your power, God. Don't let us forget this power that lives inside of us, that qualifies us as more than conquerors because of you. We love you. We praise you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. There's still two more verses here in Romans 8. And as I got ready to end this message, what I want to do is I want you to just close your eyes for a sec. Close your eyes. And everything we've talked about over the last three weeks, I'm just going to read these last two passages and let them speak 100% for themselves. And as you hear these words, tattoo them onto your heart, sear them into your soul, and just meditate on these words from the Word of God. Verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.